0: This is Frameform. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us as we near the end of the fourth season of Frameform. And what a season it's been. We've been forging new territory outside of our Zoom studios and are venturing further into the world where in-person screenings are happening on a regular basis again. So over the summer, we were excited to have the opportunity to collaborate with the great Jennifer Scully Thurston, Frameform's first superfan and, as of this year, the new artistic director of American Dance Festival's Movies by Movers in Durham, North Carolina. Hannah and I had the opportunity to attend a weekend of this year's event and moderate the post-screening panels. One of the films screened that weekend was a documentary featuring pioneering transgender choreographer and dancer Sean Dorsey, produced by the San Francisco Bay Area PBS affiliate KQED as a part of their If Cities Could Dance series. The film, directed by Sean's longtime collaborator, Lindsay Gauthier, goes by many different names, as you'll hear in the episode, and features excerpts from his latest show, The Lost Art of Dreaming, an evening-length invitation to embrace expansive imagination, reconnect with longing, connect with joy and pleasure, and propel ourselves toward loving futures. The film has screened at multiple festivals since its release and recently won an Emmy for Best Art Entertainment News at the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, Northern California Area Emmy Awards. This panel was recorded in July 2023, a few days following a rapturous performance of The Lost Art of Dreaming to a sold-out house at the Reynolds Theater on Duke's campus. On the panel were Sean Dorsey, his dancers Noel Simons, Hector Jaime, and David Lay, costume designer Crystal Harford, and technical director Emily Paulson. Enjoy.
1: Sean Dorsey, uh, the cast, I'm so excited for y'all and congratulations on your Emmy in this fantastic piece. Um, Can you just tell us how you got an Emmy in the first place. Like that's pretty amazing for a a dance company coming out of San Francisco and your story and everyone's story from the stage to the screen. So tell us a little something about that.
2: Thank you, yeah, I still can't believe that I literally have an Emmy Award in my house. Um, So we were very blessed to get to make this film. It was produced by KQED, which is the Bay Area's local PBS station. Uh, And they had an incredible series called If Cities Could Dance, where they went to different cities across the country and would work with artists in that city uh, who worked in all different genres and would kind of, it was kind of like a love letter profile of the city through the eyes of that dance artist or dance company. So they approached me um, and asked if we would like to do an episode. And of course we said, yes. I actually got to choose who I wanted to direct the episode. And so... I chose the most amazing human, who is Lindsay Gautier, who is a collaborator of Claire's. Uh, the two of these amazing humans run Rapt Productions in San Francisco. So anyway, so that that was the project, and and who um, produced the work, um, and then it was nominated for an Emmy Award, and then we went to the ceremony and didn't think we'd win, but then the voice of God. So, the name of, the name of the. The film is Sean Dorsey Dance, oh gosh, what is it? Sean Dorsey Dance, Dreaming, hmm. Dreaming Trans, and queer Trans and Queer Futures. It has a different title, and the entire project is Transgender Dancer Sean Dorsey Dreams of Limitless Futures for Trans and Queer Communities. I'm just saying that because what's amazing is the actual Emmy Awards that the team got, the director, producers, have the word transgender carved on an Emmy Award, which I'm pretty sure is a historic thing. So yeah, so I have an Emmy in my house that says the word transgender as, you know, as the choreographer of uh, the project. Yes, it's very hard to believe it's true and a huge blessing.
0: Massive congratulations. And um, yes, Lindsay Gautier is indeed my boss. (laughs) and We have worked together for many years and she has worked with you for many more years. And I actually wanted to read a little message that she sent today. When I first saw Secret History of Love in 2012, it was transformative. It solidified in my mind the power of story to create empathy and compassion in the world. I knew then that I wanted to someday make a film with Sean Dorsey. So when KQED asked me, it was an immediate yes. I was so honored to tell Sean's story. I hope it is a beacon of light to whoever needs it right now and that it plants seeds of compassion and empathy in every person it touches, just as Sean's work has always done for me. We can imply from that that you and Lindsay have a long collaboration, goes years back. And I'm very curious as to what the initial seeds of that particular film collaboration were. And really, how far back does that go?
2: So I started working with Lindsay, gosh, it was probably like 2011 at least, if not earlier. It might be 10. So that's a long time. Um, the project that Lindsay referred to uh, was a show of ours called The Secret History of Love, uh, which was built after I recorded oral history interviews um, with LGBTQI elders and seniors and asked them how on earth they managed to find love and community in decades past. And then the work featured their real life stories and voices in the show. Um, was that also? We started working together, technical director Emily Paulson, amazing, so long. We toured the work. We were presented in Atlanta, where we're actually going back in a few weeks. Um, And Lindsay traveled with us and documented our work there, teaching in trans and queer communities, our performances. But also captured some of our next project, which was called The Missing Generation, uh, in which I spent a couple of years traveling across the country and recording oral history interviews with longtime survivors from the early part of the AIDS epidemic. So Lindsay was part of capturing the secret history of love and then this, the seeds of the missing generation and these incredible humans that I got to record interviews with. So, um, And we were dreaming at that time of creating some kind of a dance film or mini-documentary starting with that material that we captured in 2012. Um, and so, you know... It just took a decade or so to (laughs) to materialize, yeah.
1: I have a question about bringing your stage work to the locations. I mean, if cities could dance. Um, How did you come up with which pieces were going to be paired in those locations? Was that a collaborative effort amongst everyone? Um, I just thought some of those works really transformed even more beyond The proscenium stage. So where did you find those locations? Uh, How long did it take to really find those right moments to really highlight the space beyond stage, beyond your arms and legs and all beyond?
2: So If Cities Could Dance has been a pretty, what's a pretty urban series. Um, And I live in an urban space, San Francisco. um, But when I was asked to think about what locations I wanted to put my dance in, my brain went immediately to all these beautiful nature spots in (laughs) San Francisco. Um, And so uh, we ended up um, going out to the ocean, the cliff house at the ocean or um, beautiful McLaren Park. Um, So we actually, Lindsay and I actually had to kind of scratch our head to like find a couple of concrete or urban type locations, uh, which happened to be at Ocean Beach or um, other places. So um, I already had some some spots in mind to me being near trees and water felt very important with this project um, and being able to have our feet on grass and on the earth. Um, And then from there, part of it was what, you know, my heart felt like which material worked in which location and part of it was very logistic, like what which choreography can we do without falling over on a hillside with, (laughs) you know. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe I'll pass the microphone down and everyone who, you know, was part of that could just speak to how each of those locations were. Like I know the Cliff House was like 50 degrees below freezing. (laughs) You were first. Oh, Oh, I don't know what to say. Um, Well, I I will say uh, during the pandemic, Sean and I had started to do some filming outside because uh, all the dance studios were closed in San Francisco. Um, So that's that's when we kind of started dancing outside was during the pandemic and kind of doing some of that material that we had created in out in nature because that was all we had at that time.
3: (laughs) Um, To me it's just it was just exciting right the the change of locations the settings um the way um sean and all of the people in board were managing uh the dancer and actually taking care of us as opposed to like dance there you know because i feel like a lot of um directors do not take safety into consideration for the dancers so it was really nice to know that um, or, or bodies, and, and, and that goes beyond the legs and, and the arms, you know, that we are able to um, mix somehow with the environment as opposed to just be a separate thing from what's happening around us. And I think that just works really well with how you take the movement and inspiration to get something out from there.
4: Um, I handled wardrobe for the film. And I did not make all of the costumes, but I did collaborate with Sean on the looks in the locations and what we wanted to see. Um, I think when we were in the uh, whites and the colors, we had a couple of costume changes before we decided on what that look was. and uh yeah the back of my car was my wardrobe closet for the day. <laughs> um and the giant gowns that I had to steam before carrying and I'm like how am I going to carry these to the thing and Sean's like oh we'll get you a costume rack or two and I'm like wow okay anything I want Sean will get me so I love it. Was there a particular
1: costume that when you saw it in the space outside that you were just like oh it works like this is so fitting. This just makes the piece and the choreography shine even more.
4: I think my favorite was uh, the blue gowns against the ocean um, and the picture frame was probably my favorite. And then going back to a different location with the ocean and then mirroring it with the uh, maroon and then the beach and the ocean side. So those were probably my favorites.
2: I have to just tell an anecdote about, um, so at the end, early on, I had this vision, I was like, I don't know about, you know, from a cinematographer's perspective, but I had an image of like, above just because I knew that the work would have this on stage, this like 50 foot train as one of the costumes. And I had this image of, you know, somehow being on a cliff and looking down at maybe all of us or some of us with this huge train. And so we did end up doing that on the beach. And I had um, not the train we use in this show, but another version of it that was heavier. And so, you know, I just, uh, first I had it on my waist the way it was built and it ripped off within like 10 seconds. The wind was so strong. It literally ripped the fabric apart, like the actual threads of the fabric, it ripped apart. Um, So then I had to hold it against like, I don't know how many miles an hour winds it was down there. It almost ripped my arms out of my sockets, literally (laughs) holding on (laughs) to. this, uh, but the, the footage was gorgeous, you know, Lindsay had the, the camera person, you know, get down low, and there was all of that gorgeous, uh, you know, sand kind of grazing across the front of the camera, but anyway, yes, that was the moment that I almost had Barbie arms come out of my <laughs> sock. <Yeah. laughs>
0: Actually, funny alen- enough, Lindsay also sent a behind-the-scenes version of that moment happening, too, which <laughs> we can do a private screening following... <laughs> I have to say, it was wonder. It was interesting seeing which costumes were u- both used in the show and the film, and then which shifted from the show to the film. So once again, Crystal, shout out for you know, designing and really, like being really considerate of the the spaces that you were in. Something else that's incredibly impressive about the documentary, and it's something that I've really known about you for a long time, is the preservation of archive material and the use of that archive material not just of your work, but of all the history of San Francisco. And I wanted to see if you had a hand in picking some of those clips and how you decided that, how they should be arranged as well.
2: Um, Thank you, so two part answer. One is yes, I'm a huge trans queer history nerd and I spent a decade of my my choreographic work creating a trilogy of works that were rooted in oral histories and archival materials. so yes, huge. That that was hugely important to me was to ground the work in my transcestors and ancestors before me and what makes our work possible. Um, and then in terms of the clips, it was actually KQED chose all those clips. They um, they I guess had access to certain materials that were already in the PBS archive. Um, so that was purely uh, the producers and Lindsay, you know, choosing clips and and so it was all outside of of my um whatever creative vision but they did a fabulous job and I just I knew that was important to me but that was 100% their magic and retrieval
0: We are at about 5 more minutes I would love to take a couple of questions from the audience probably about two or three and we're going to start right here
3: Hi guys um what's up y'all uh beautiful film awesome great stuff I have a question. My question is, um, as as a black man, when I go to a different state, I research where I'm going out of fear of what's gonna happen. So how do you decide where do you take your company? And how do you decide if it's somewhere that's not safe to push that boundary of going there?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for... (laughs) No,
3: because something we talked about, I was like, I don't go below south of the Dixie Line. Yeah, I that's just real. Don't. Um, and this is like a higher non-racist state. But yeah, yeah, you know what I mean.
2: I totally know what you mean. You know, as much as I can, as a white trans person. Uh, thank you for sharing your uh, truth. Um, and yes, that has been true from you know Baby Sean trying to get out there and tour. Ironically, uh, the first place I was invited to tour was Salt Lake City when they were actually totally supportive. Um, also, what's interesting is I actually have more concern and fear now than I did 20 years ago touring, um, and so there's a lot of stuff that we consider um, that I that I hold, you know, as a director when we're touring. Um, we're not all here today; most of us are here today, but you know, it's considering navigating the location, but also TSA and airports, traveling while trans, black, two spirit. You know, there's a lot of Experience in this company that um, that inform where it's possible for us to go. Um, I do feel like actually fifteen and twenty years ago, uh, more felt possible. You know, I brought my work to Austin and San Antonio, several cities in Florida, where I will not be setting foot anytime soon. No. Um, so it's actually I feel like it's actually worse now. Um, and yeah, it's just real. It's like, I mean, first of all, a lot of those places are certainly not inviting us (laughs) now. Um, And, you know, invitations have come where it's just literally not possible or safe for us, like just going to any city. um, I have fear when I go through TSA at the airport, you know, I've had people stop me or pat down my genitals. For a long time, I was out as trans and touring without having taken testosterone, which means I didn't have a low voice, I didn't have sideburns, so I didn't pass as, I didn't read as masculine. So I literally didn't pee in an airport for 10 years when I was touring Um, because I had so much, I had been, you know, assaulted and harassed so much in bathrooms, which is why I want to thank you so much for creating All Gender Bathrooms today for this event. Snap, snap, snap. And I will be following up also after hoping that This space and Duke campus and ADF spaces permanently convert these bathrooms to be all gender because there are so many folks who want to be accessing all the events, not just when Sean Dorsey Dance happens to be in the room. So, yes, that is so real. And I so appreciate you naming this because I feel like this is a way that we really need to show up for each other. Like, I need to show up for you. I need folks in the room who are not trans to show up for me, you know. Um, Anyway
0: off with one more question and we will be quick because I know you have a plane to catch so you premiered this work last year and since then you have been able to tour in many places some which are much more supporting of uh, trans and two spirit and gender non-conforming and some places that are not and In anticipation of your return to San Francisco in September, which, yay, how do you feel that the work has evolved? I mean, understandably, uh, there are dancers who have different uh, familiarities with the piece as is, but how have you feel the work evolved presenting it to different audiences? In my perspective...
3: (laughs) No, I feel like everything... um, Just like us, everything evolves. So every time we do the work, every time we go to a different city, the energy, the audience who comes and see us, it's so diverse and they're all welcome that it just affects the way we perform it to them, right? Um, Also, the way we interact with each other while doing the piece, uh, we're having fun and we're loving each other on stage and we are showing that to whoever is watching. You know that it is possible to create art with your queer uh, friends and colleagues who just want to make art and want to transform the world with the message of love, and I feel like that that message has continuously grown uh, and and evolve as we are dancing it in more cities.
2: So it's I mean in in like the modern dance world it is incredibly rare um, to get to tour work period, let alone so much. So that is just such a huge blessing. It's really hard to tour work. It's hard to travel, you know, beyond being a soloist. So that's amazing um, and it's been I have felt like the work has deepened so much and grown so much choreographically there are like little like you know little little un petit peu as we might call you know little tiny changes but nothing nothing there's no been, there's been no huge structural changes but to me there's been such um, a deepening of the roots um, and I'm really excited to bring it back to our our home theater in San Francisco for folks to see also how the piece has grown. Um, And we had an amazing experience here, our ADF performance. We had a full house. There was so much love. You know, there are times I go on stage that I'm literally like, what's their active shooter policy in this theater? You know, it's very vulnerable to be a trans and queer person on stage in America right now. Um, so I was relieved. And also it was just an incredible outpouring of love. And we felt amazing about the performance. And I, we talked about how there was just a little extra... Uh, um, knowing that we're in this state that is, you know, so gross, disgusting, actively harming trans and queer communities. Um, so we kind of had a little extra, like, fire in our belly, you know? like But driven by love, being like, yes, you know, and the audience met us with that.
0: Thank you so much, and as you said on Thursday, um, it's one thing to internalize values of love towards the trans community, it's another thing to take action. And so, I know Sean, you're a great resource, but it's also not your responsibility to teach everybody. Yeah, (laughs) Google is free, everyone. (laughs) So definitely get involved, um, write those emails, call your congresspeople, call your senators, tell them, be a a good ally and tell them that you value trans people and you really hope that they do as well
4: This is Frameform, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Episode edited by the Frameform team with social media support from Maddie Leitner and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening